Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. This is episode 50. We're halfway through season three. We have a great guest on today. I have known this person for many, many years. We met through Gain, through Galderma, and she's a sculpture-loving regenerative medicine queen who has built a huge business with lots of booties, by the way. She has tons of booties. Uh, She's in LA. She is a PA who is on the up and up when it comes to becoming an entrepreneur, growing her practice, growing her brand. She is training and living and trying to seize the moment and take advantage of all that's happening now in aesthetics. What's going to happen soon with her insight on regenerative medicine, exosomes, what's happening with red light therapy and the whole mind-body wellness continuum. And she's here today. So PA Cheyenne, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. You're one of my favorite people on the planet and uh, uh, definitely been uh, a mentor to me. So I thank you for having me and I thank you for all your wisdom and guidance over all these years. Well, I appreciate that. But let's talk about you. Enough about me. Private Suite LA, which is this thriving little mecca in the middle of LA that you have built. I think we just said two years. We were just talking about this off air. For about two years, you've had this practice. It's been growing. Your Instagram following has grown. You're growing as a brand. You've got a lot going on, my friend. So give us and our listeners a bit of a backtrack on kind of your story and what you're doing right now and kind of where you've been also. Um, sure, absolutely. Uh, it, it wasn't a straight path to aesthetics. I had an interesting uh, trajectory to get here, that's for sure. Uh, I was a French major at university, a French history major. And when I graduated, I moved to the south of France and worked as a perfumer for several years, making fragrances. And then I'm just going to give you the Reader's Digest version. I decided I wanted to do something a little bit more profound with myself and go into medicine. Um, but the PA path sort of was introduced to me and I realized that was the shortest path to sort of be doing what I wanted to be doing. Uh, the one caveat was I had never taken a science class before. So I moved back to New York. I enrolled in a post-baccalaureate program in pre-medical sciences. And I worked as a phlebotomist, um, uh, in the EMT uh, with the EMTs. I did everything, you name it. I was hustling all over the place. And then, uh, I knew I wanted to go to Cornell because they're the only PA program that had a surgical focus. So I was always passionate about plastic surgery, uh, reconstructive surgery and aesthetics. I just didn't know what area I wanted to go into, but that definitely was sort of what I put my intention on focus on. And that's where I ended up. So to hear you say that the PA route was the shortest route to get where you wanted to go, I think is quite shocking. So we had Sarah Balderas on last week. She had a very similar story as you of like, I want to be a PA. So you take all these science classes, you go to PA school, which by the way is, as we all know, very, very intense, but you're in New York. How do you decide to end up of all places, coast to coast back in LA? Because that's, that's quite a, um, quite a plane ride over there. Well, like Sarah, I was originally going to go to medical school to be a plastic surgeon. And then our stories are very similar. One of the residents sort of had a come to Jesus conversation with me and said, no, you need to be a PA and then sort of introduced me to one. And I thought, wow, this is really, really, really great. And then um, 
what also too I loved about Cornell is the PAs are in the the classes are the same as the medical students, and we also get the same amount of electives. So I was able to get eight electives. So and I spent them all in various areas of plastic surgery and dermatology, which really gave me a comprehensive uh, education and also took me to my fellowship, which is where I went after I graduated. To answer your question in a very roundabout way. One of my clerkships were out here at UCLA with a very famous reconstructive surgeon named Dr. Henry Kalmodo. He's no longer practicing. And I spent 16 weeks out here with all his fellows and residents. And I just thought it was the best thing in the world that, you know, at eight o'clock at night, we're sitting out at Whole Foods having a salad instead of freezing in the snow in New York. And then my fiance at the time, um, he's a general surgeon. The plan was to come to California. We both came to California, just not together. So love was part of it. And then also the weather and a, a good work-life balance. Yeah. I mean, if I'm, if you meet you, you're very much a California girl, but you have a New York edge to you. I can see it all coming together now, Cheyenne. But you also had this whole other life in France, you know, a perfumer. You know, to kind of backtrack to that, too, like, and I asked Sarah the same question kind of to your similar past. At what point in that life does a person decide? I think this is happening across the industry right now. We're seeing so many new people coming in. Do you decide living in France, being a perfumer, like, meh, that's not good enough for me. I want to go into aesthetics. Like, what was the impetus for you to leave that career behind? And in essence, as an adult, right, not a college kid anymore, start totally over with something totally brand new. I just really wanted to do something more profound with my life. And I also realized I didn't want to live in France for the rest of my life. And um, as much art as is involved as perfumery, it's very much science heavy, very chemistry heavy. So it married both of my two favorite things, art and science. Uh, and that's sort of what uh, brought me back to New York and put me on a different path. You know, correct, like Sarah, it's not an easy path. It's definitely, it's a four and a half year long haul, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not an easy path. I think that's, a to say the PA path was easier is a misnomer. It used to be like, go be the janitor or somebody, you know, go be the trash guy. Like, great job. Everyone needs it, but a little faster to delivery than maybe being a PA. But we're glad that you're here, obviously. But you've had a 15, almost 16, 15 years as a PA. So you've been doing this for a, for quite a while before aesthetics really took off the way that we know it today, obviously, like injectables and things. How did you get part of that um, that area of aesthetics? Because obviously plastics, reconstruction, dermatology, skincare, and now the injectable route, because that's, I think, where you focus most of your time now. How did you get into that part of the aesthetic industry? You know, I'd worked, when I when I moved here, I worked for several plastic surgeons, and, you know, we're up early in the operating room, and then I was usually in clinic with them or in the operating room, and then doing injectables on one or two days a week, and that sort of became... Uh, the focus of really what, what I wanted to be working on. And if I'm going to get up at four o'clock in the morning, I decided I wanted to be doing it for myself, not for someone else. Um, and then I ended up running a couple of med spas for some different plastic surgeons. Then I worked in larger group dermatology practices. Um, and the issue with that is when you work in a larger, I don't want to say corporate, but yes, it's a little bit more formulaic that they, they, they have, there's a formula that you have to follow. And that didn't really work for me. I've always been an out of the box thinker. Um, I always try to push creativity beyond rejuvenation into the realm of beauty maximization. And when you're working in a sort of a larger group practice, that doesn't really work. Um, so 
you know, what did Malcolm Gladwell say? Every overnight success is a decade in the making. Not really a success. I mean, I always try to, I do go benchmarks. You know, my birthday is in December. So I always try to evaluate what have I accomplished this year? How far have I grown? And definitely looking back on the past 10 years, I've grown tremendously. Um, during that time, I also became a gain trainer, as you know, and I'm grateful to Galderma for all of the things I'm able to go and do and see and people that I've gotten to meet and train. And um, it's just such a wonderful opportunity to be able to give back. I've probably spent more money on my aesthetic education than my undergraduate and graduate education. But I think, you know, I've always wanted to be the best. And by that, I mean, have the best understanding of all technologies that we're offering currently in aesthetics so I can bring that to my patients. You know, my practice is very um, bespoke medicine. You know, it's not a high volume type of situation. So it's a very white glove type of service. And so I want to do that with care and um, with tremendous service because I find that's something that is really lacking um, in the world, not so much in our industry, but in the world. Just uh, my, my practice is very service oriented. So people feel, I want people to feel special and I want people to feel taken care of. And that's why they keep coming back. Yeah, and I want to pull back the layers of the bespoke part of it because I feel like that is such a, I don't want to say unique. I mean, it's unique in the sense that what you're doing is very customized, but I think it's where we're all having to go because the factory medicine idea that you mentioned, the corporate medicine idea doesn't really work in aesthetics. Patients need too much of a diverse set of things and wants and desires. But to that point, I have a question for you that, you know, I've never asked, I don't think anyone on this show ever before, but as a PA, obviously dermatology relies heavily on PAs to do so much of the, you know, the in-office um, consultations, evaluations, prescriptions, the whole things. Do you think that there's a place now to be able to do that and to do aesthetics in the same practice? Or do you feel like, I, I have very few friends who are PAs that are actually doing dermatology work in their aesthetics practice like it's too much it's, it's got to be a whole separate thing it's you know it's to your point too formulaic I can't do it here I'm just doing aesthetics but is there a place for that in our industry you know I would hope so I had the opportunity to train several dermatology practices in Sacramento and that was probably the biggest frustration for all their mid-level providers is that they were you know stuck in a medical derm clinic and they weren't able to do any cosmetics um so I think well, you know, as you know, looking good never goes out of style, Tiffany, you know, even in a disruptive world and a disruptive economy, which is what we're now reentering. So I think we all have to shift focuses for 2023. Um, so I think probably those PAs in medical germ right now are going to be stuck in medical germ for a while until uh, the economy bounces back because insurance pays the bills, you know. Oh, I do know. I think with PE firms coming in, it's very, very sexy right now to, to have all those billables. But, you know, I think what you're doing with the bespoke practice is also such an, an interesting point, especially you mentioned the recession and things, you know, apparently happening, which in Texas, we're kind of isolated here. We're, we're still big hair, big boobs, big lips. We have not quite felt it yet. But to that point, you offer a lot of really unique things. I mean, just talking to you even now, you can tell that you have a very unique perspective on aesthetics. You're offering a lot of regenerative things that aren't really, you know, in the pop culture scene yet. Walk us through that. Like, what are the things that you're offering that you think your patients need that are probably not the mainstream yet that, you know, will carry you into the 2023s when the economy is a little bit less than stellar? 
you know, as you um, pointed out at the beginning, I've, been, I've had a 15 year career. I, I hadn't thought about that <laughs> until you pointed that out. So I've gone from, you know, people coming in saying, I only have money for one syringe, and then you're sort of limited in what you can do to, my patients have been with me for a very long time now, I'd say 13, 14, 15 years. And I now have the luxury of them coming in and saying, well, what do you recommend? What, what do I need to age younger? And I've always been passionate about regenerative aesthetics before it's sort of had its Cinderella moment, which it's having right now. I've always been fascinated with um, our ability to continue to develop the structure and uh, the regeneration, the regeneration of both structure and function of the skin and soft tissue. It's skin health we can see, you know, especially in California, it's the perfect marketplace for that. I don't want to say everybody's lean and fit and healthy, but about 90% of my patients are. So it's the perfect demographic to really promote skin health. And it's not so much what I can do with my needles. It's a global approach to skin health and aging younger. Um, and it starts from within. And so I work with a lot of um, providers, cellular medicine providers uh, as well, to sort of educate my patients properly. And um, we sort of develop a global approach to aging younger and everyone's very happy about that. So, you know, you're a huge sculpture injector, big biostimulator. You're my girl. I look at your Instagram all the time because you you do a ton of, of the derrieres, the rear ends. You were probably the first person that I knew of who was really publicly promoting that big volume, big enhancement, big improvement. I say big, not in size, but like, you know, in focus is what I should have said. That was kind of like your sweet spot. I think during the whole sort of virtual, A and virtual, the whole COVID era, you were really in on that. How did you get there? Like when did the love affair with Sculptra start? Because you were a very, very early adopter in Sculptra. I think one of the first I knew of really promoting it. So how did you find that product and become such a big advocate of that? Because even before, I feel like today, and when I mean today, I mean like right now, it's trendy in aesthetics. Everyone's talking about filler fatigue. You know, my approach, you know, my my how I look at faces and my aesthetic approach is I, I've been seeing I what I thought was filler fatigue for several years now my goal for my patients has always been to bring back natural beauty into this unnatural world and so I wanted to learn all about um, the ways we could do that with the various biostimulators and I've had the opportunity to train with some very famous injectors you know but I've also invested in my education you know I flew to London to train with Dr. Kate Goldie, who's a big proponent of Radius. So in addition to Sculpture, I also work with Radius. And um, uh, it, it was amazing. How often in today's world do you get to spend 10 hours? We literally just looked at faces today for the artistic component of it, of it, not for the profit component of it. So what an honor to be in her presence. I mean, she's a true genius and you need to have her aesthetic next. You really do. She is a genius and a wealth of knowledge. And it was beyond inspiring just to spend 10 hours with her. You know, I got to work with her. I worked with Shino as well. I did a private training with him and you sort of, and I tell all the people that I train today too, you want to look as, as many faces as you can with as many of us as we can, because we all do it differently and not one way is the right way. It's just our aesthetic approach. The technique you can teach, the artistry you can't, that has to be innate and a lot of people don't have it. And I think to sort of answer your question in a very roundabout way and how I came up with the bespoke approach to my practices when I stopped caring about what other people thought about what I was putting out on Instagram and just put out the work that I thought was beautiful and, and artistic and the aesthetic that represented beauty to me is when it started to gain traction. You know, and I think um, 
you know, I'm also an introvert. I know people find that hard to believe because when I know you, I'm not, but I think um, it's more, it's um, people misunderstand me a little bit because I'm more shy and quiet. I'm not as outgoing as you are, Tiffany. I know you can talk to a fly on the wall <laughs> and make them feel at home. But um, so it's just really worked well for me. You know, I love um, all of my patients. I'm grateful to them. And it's wonderful to be able to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with them. And especially as we're entering a recession again, if people are going to come in and spend that kind of money with you, they want to feel special. You know, people remember at the end of the day, not what you said, but how you made them feel. So my goal is to not only make them look better and feel better, but also have a positive experience. So they feel taken care of and they come back. And, um, you know, fortunately we've been successful enough in doing that. And uh, as we grow and expand the brand, I think that's the challenge now that we're having, you know, my medical director and I, how we're facing in 2023 is how to make that scalable because it's a very personalized approach. And, um, you know, I did hire somebody, unfortunately that didn't work out. Um, and I'm now training two new people that don't have experience. And I much prefer that because then I don't have uh, bad habits to break. Yeah, I think because you are doing bespoke, I think almost having no experience is better because when you are bespoke, you've almost custom curated this list of services the way that Cheyenne does them. Obviously, it's the, the brand way, and I get that. It's the private suite LA way, but it's really from your, you know, from your brain, from your hands. And I think when you come with experience, they're – not to be combative, but there is a combative component to that, right? Of like, well, I, I've been a PA for 15 years also. Like, I know the same way. You know how to do it. I'm, yeah, I just think that there's – sometimes there's like an inherent argument that happens because you're both experienced. You both have a great way to do it, but it's just not the same way. But at the end of the day, it's your way, right? It's your business. Your name is on it. It's your, your thing. And I think there is a lot of confusion there. But also, to your point about ethics and people and what they do and don't do and managing through that in our industry today – but to kind of take one step back to the sculpture thing, you mentioned if people are going to spend a lot of money with you, what a great investment to spend it in. Like sculpture, you know, that whole like rent, not own, or, you know, that own, not rent thing. And just, you know, the foundational component of sculpture and the platform, like what a great time right now. If you're listening to this thinking, what am I going to do in 2023? Promote <laughs> biostimulators because they're going to be such a longer term play for your patient, obviously, you know, profit wise for you, but also because it's going to be better for the patient. But that's a different soapbox. But business owner, let's go to your business owner stuff, all that menagerie. You mentioned scaling your brand. Give us a, a bit of an overview of what, when you thought about opening your practice, what did you want to build and what were the steps that you took to build it? Like, you know, is it one room? Is it eight rooms? Is it six staff? Is it one staff? Paint the picture for us, broad strokes, what it looked like the day it started and then how you're starting to build and grow it now. You know, I, I took a much more of an entrepreneurial approach, Tiffany. <laughs> there wasn't a plan. I kind of just said, I'm just going to go do it. And I opened my business uh, in the middle of COVID. And I thought, I hope I hope they come. And, and they did. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. But it was a, a tiny room. Um, and we couldn't even, I, I was the only one in the building because everything in LA County was closed. However, I was allowed to be there because I was medical. So my, the first day we opened, I didn't have an exam chair. I didn't have anything. I ended up having to order a massage table on Amazon so that I could do my sculpture butt treatment. And I returned it the next day. Thankfully, there's a UPS store right next to my office. But you just figure it out. You know, I probably, probably say the biggest lesson learned in COVID is, you know, you just have to roll with it and figure it out. And there's always a way. Um, I think it's the New Yorker in me. I have this innate hustle and I really don't like that word because I think there's a negative connotation to it. Um, but I mean it just like 
yeah, you, you just you work hard. And I think unfortunately today, nobody wants to work and nobody, there's an, um, a strange level of expectation as I'm trying to hire staff. And that is unfortunate to me. I understand very well that no one's ever going to be me and no one's ever going to care as much as I care, but I definitely don't see the fire in anybody that I had as a student, you know, and I mean, I never would question my mentors or anything like that. You know, you were given the instructions by the chief resident, you follow them, you know, here, no, you get questions, you get smack, you know, kids are sick, they can't come to work. So it's a whole new world. And um, it, it saddens me, I have to say, it really does. No, but I think if, if you're an employer, you're having that exact same internal dialogue today, no matter where you are, what industry you're in, that's a conversation that everyone's having. Like the talent pool today is just different. I am very fortunate to set a record. We hire a much different kind of person. We have a very different idea of what we want here. To your point, I want them to have no experience. I want to make them into, you know, into these little AR rock star heroes. And I don't want them to come with all this baggage because it's hard to A, pay them enough and they have all that already in their mind. And B, to give them what they want because they already have preconceived notions and they're already jaded. And I can't I can't fix that. I can't fix your bad, you know, your bad memories, your bad experiences. I can't start over for you. You have to do that on your own. But anyway, to that point, I think every aesthetic person I talk to, every owner is saying what you're saying of like, where are they? How do I survive this? How do I make this work? And so you're training new people right now. What is your perspective now that you know and that you've had some experiences that maybe weren't so positive? What are you doing differently this time around? Um, also, just to go back a little bit to answer your question, how I started, I started in a very small space. Um, it's very similar to Sarah's story. I watched a little bit of her chat with you last week. You know, um, I did it all by myself. You know, I have my medical director, obviously, but we don't have any investors. So um, I wanted to start small and see how we grew from there. Um, and, you know, we are growing, but I don't need a 10,000 square foot facility. I think keep the overhead low and keep the patients happy and sort of maintain the bespoke uh, model that we have and it'll do really well for us. I'm not looking to do high volume filler at 450 a syringe like all, all the med spas in there or the Groupons. I want to keep keep what makes us unique and makes us special and then um, you know share my techniques with my staff. Hopefully they stay. Um, and what you know, yes, I find that people that are new that don't have any experience, they definitely don't have the bad habits and they are eager, but I'm also definitely a little reticent from the experience I had about someone that I had to let go. Um, you know, everything's great and rosy right now, but let's see where we are in six months. So how I start training people is just with toxins. And, you know, right now they're in their toxin phases and they'll stay there for quite some time. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> I love a toxin phase. I mean, you probably have heard me say this. I think toxin is the most... Well, because it's just used so much as the most high-risk thing that we do in this industry because we use it so much. The adverse events are so prevalent. And people just kind of blow past it like it's no big deal. So I am an advocate of your toxin phase. I think it's great. But I love the idea that you said, you know, we're, we started small. We're thinking about as we scale and as we build, maintaining the customer service aspect, the white glove service part of our business. But I know that you are a grower. You're a doer. You're a builder. And you're going to keep building. And so whenever we have this, you know, private suite LA, location two, location three, location four, how do you plan to maintain that bespoke, high touch culture as you grow? Because I feel like that's, again, the, the second challenge is I have great employees at location one. How do I have that now at location two and location three? Because I think that's just, it's a multiplicative, you know, challenge compared to just having great employees to start with. Totally. I mean, so the goal, yeah, correct. So there's a private suite LA right now, you know, then 
the goal would be a private suite San Francisco or a private suite Orange County. You know, we haven't, we're sort of deciding on the locations from where we want to be, but still keep it small. I, and we're not looking to open 10,000 square foot facilities. And then the highlight will obviously be on, you know, whatever injector that we have there um, to curate a clientele for them. You know, I, I always, for the people that I bring on, I don't give them my patients. We bring new patients in and then I want them to develop those relationships because it's a long-term relationship and I am teaching them how to do the patient assessment and walk them through a beauty plan so that patients come back and then I want them to develop their own clientele so you know it's starting very small you know first I would say first learn to walk then to run right now we're learning to crawl you know we're starting really in the infancy of it and I think that's probably just from the unfortunate experience I had with that person that I hired and had to let go. But right now I'm just rather be safe. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with toxin. It's great. (laughs) It's great. Everybody, that's what everyone's spending their money on. I have to tell you, I just went through, um, I went with my business manager and we went through all the numbers for the end of that, for fourth quarter and uh, sculpture radius and toxin is what people are spending their money on. Yeah, I think it will continue. I mean, lips are big and everyone loves lips, but I think that at the end of the day, those who can afford it are getting their routine maintenance with their toxin. You know, they're keeping keeping those lines down. And then they're getting, again, more of that platform regenerative biostimulator kind of treatment as well. So I think the economy in many ways dictates what we do. And I think that your two bookends there are my maintenance and then my ongoing treatments. You know, again, no filler fatigue kind of thing. But you are a big believer in this, you know, again, the mind, body, global kind of approach and wellness. When you're hiring people to come work with you, are you looking for that same kind of thing? Because, I mean, to your point, injections are one part of your business, but you have this whole other thing with, you know, you're looking at every part of, the, of their face, their life, their, their lifestyle. How do you screen for that or find employees who share that same passion that you have? Right. You know, it's definitely my interview approach has changed. I want someone that wants to work and obviously um, has a good appearance and is good with clients. And so really right now it's the basics of someone that wants to work and put in in the time and then the rest I can teach them. Um, and then we hope we all we all grow together. But the t- to answer your previous question, how do we hope to maintain the bespoke quality of our business you know again i think this is what's always made me a little bit unique and put me on the you know off the beaten path is that the goal you know everyone comes in and they want to look better but not different right so the goal of looking better but not different is the magical dermatology paradox so how do i do that you know my approach is to make subtle adjustments in facial proportions while respecting characteristic facial identity. So I'm really, what I'm trying to do with the people that I brought on is sort of teach them that approach. And then I feel that if I'm able to somehow instill that, we'll be able to make it scalable and maintain um, what makes us unique. Well, I think you have a unique advantage because you're a trainer. You get to practice that all the time. And I have this conversation a lot with people uh, when you go into a practice as a trainer, you know, you don't know anything yet. You're walking in kind of stone cold off the street and you look around and the people look crazy. You know, they're overly injected. Their patient before and afters are not so great. You're, you know, you being you are like, oh my gosh, this is like filler face, crazy cheeks. You're getting it again. To interrupt you, but I have no filler in my face, Tiffany, none. Right. So when I walk in, like people are always shocked, but no, like we are our billboards, you know, and I, I just don't understand to your point of like, you walk into these conferences and the lips like enter the room before the person does and the cheeks are out to here. And I'm just like, no, I have no filler in my face. I have Sculptra and Disport. That's it. 
I want to look normal, you know? And I think my patients are grateful to me for that, but correct, you walk into these offices and the lips are, you know, overfilled, the, the vermilion border is completely obliterated, the tear troughs, like, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then you sort of start to ask the questions and it's like, wow, okay, okay. Let's rewind here a little bit. Let's go back to the basics. <laughs> Well, and that's my question. Uh, and that's what I wonder about is I think people don't do it with ill intent or because they're just trying to, you know, I think I want to believe that they're doing it because they want what's best for the patient. They just don't know how to do it. It's not to make money or to keep selling syringes. But how do we as an industry, because I know that you do believe in this like very much a, you know, aging, younger, subtle approach. How do we get folks to, to shift their mindset? And we're starting to see a shift now to that mentality to stop this you know, overly mathematical injection pattern that we see everywhere. Like you're going to put it here and here and here. And that's, you know, for everyone that comes in, how do we stop that and really get people down this path of looking at the nuance, the lights, the shadows, the balance, the symmetry, all the things that, you know, you as an artist understand. When, when does that come into play? How do we stop the madness? I mean, that's it's a great a great question a great point obviously when i um when i start all my trainings you know we do a patient assessment and then we do an anatomy review and so i sort of go through everything with them and then everyone in the room always has this aha moment they tell me how amazing i am i'm not tooting my own horn but i'm just sort of taken aback is like, well, how could you be injecting for seven years and not know this? Or how could you be injecting for 12 years and never picked up a cannula? You know, like it just, it's, it, it's, I find it quite baffling. And then I realized, okay, you know, I've worked really hard on my aesthetic education and I've spent a lot of money on my aesthetic education, aesthetic education, but that was always because I've had that desire to be the best and want to offer the best practices and the best outcomes to my patients. So um, in the training sessions, again, they're like, wow, you're so amazing. And then I think when I leave, unfortunately, as you're aware, there are certain practices that are tied to certain companies and they're forced to use certain products. And so the injectors are a little limited in what they can or can't do. But I can't tell you the amount of messages I get saying, thank you so much. Oh my God, I wish I could use the products you trained us on today, but we can't and stuff like that. So I think a lot of it is sort of a business type set situation that they don't have control over them, but a lot of them do want to do other things and try and be better, I guess. Well, yeah, I think you bring up another great point too. If, if you're listening to this and you are a business owner, don't limit people, don't limit their ability to learn and grow. I, what a tragic thing to have someone come into your practice who is an amazing trainer to excite your staff, to impassion them to be better, to teach them great techniques. Then they leave and you say, gosh, I wish you could use that here, but we don't have that product, so you can't. What the hell was the point of any of that? Like, what was the point of you coming in and, and spending your valuable time, their valuable time, to say, well, we're not going to do that. We don't believe in that product. We're not going to bring it in. Like, to me, that is just crazy. I think people end up leaving practices because of that kind of thing because they feel like their wings are getting clipped, right? They can't, they can't keep learning and growing because they're not allowed to do more things. I just think that's such a tragic thing. Like, let your people grow. It doesn't mean you bring in 10,000 syringes of it, but at least let them try it, learn it, and grow it. Maybe you adopt it, and it's a great product for your practice. You, know, you never know. That's just shocking to me. Um, I agree with you. I can't tell you how many sculpture trainings I've done, and then um, they, the, the trainees haven't picked up a Viola sculpture since. You know, oh, well, the office didn't order it. Oh, okay. Well, so that's so unfortunate. You know, it's like, I always say, if you're going to do the training on a Friday, have all your family members come in on Mondays so you can practice everything that you learned. If you don't practice the next day, you're going to forget, you know? Yeah. Well, you also are big with MERS. I know you've done their advisory boards. <laughs> Every year doing Aesthetic Next, you're at the advisory board for MERS. I'm going to call them this year and say, don't do that to me again. 
But you're so you're kind of in between both camps as far as like the biostimulator products. How do you decide which one you want to use where between a radius and a sculpture? That might be an unfair question, but do you also mix and match? Like, how do you make that decision as a clinician to say, I know what both these things do, and this is the right product for this patient type? It's so funny because everyone always thinks they compete with each other, you know, sculpture and the radius, and they don't. They do very different things. So I use them um, together. You know, I always use the analogy of, you know, sculpture is like scaffolding for your face and for your body too, right? So, and we all need structural support. So whether you're 20, 25, 30, or 40, we all need some form of structural support. And I, I tell everybody, every new patient walking into your practice, no matter what age they are, should be started on some sculpture. They will thank you in 10 years. Um, so I look, uh, the way I explain the difference between the two is sculpture, again, it's offers structural support. It's like scaffolding for your face. You know, when you're building a house, you need a foundation. So think of sculpture as the foundation that applies to the body body use of it as well. And radius is more like the finishing touches, like the gloss, the, the painting on the a house. You know, it, get, it does other things that sculpture can't do. You know, if someone wants an Angelina uh, Jolie type jawline or things like that, you know, radius is better for that. So um, again, what, they don't compete with each other. They do very different things. One has an inflammatory response. One has a controlled inflammatory response. So really it is patient specific and, um, you know, you have to use your judgment on what you're going to use and why you're going to use it. I find, uh, since I do do a lot of sculpture butts, I find the younger clientele uh, prefer uh, the HD radius only because there's more of an immediate response. Um, they see that pretty, they're pretty excited about that. Um, however, if I had my druthers, I would probably uh, start with the sculpture and then sort of do the little tweaks with the radius. But I, I really cater to my patients and what they're they're looking for. I want to get into butts. I want to ask you before I do advisory board. So I just mentioned that obviously you did the advisory board for MERS, your gain trainer. How did you get yourself in the right room? I mean, obviously you're talented and I don't, don't mean that to not say that you're super talented and that's how you got discovered. If that's even the word that you use, but you know, I also both know it's also about timing and where you are and getting in the right room. How did you find yourself on these, you know, prestigious appointments and how did you get there from being a person who's a single injector now in your own practice? You know, you're not in a, some big factory setting How'd you get on those stages? Um, well, um, when I want something, I'm definitely like a dog with a bone. So my poor Galderma reps back in the day, um, I think weekly, I said, how do I become a drink game trainer? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And every single one of them will tell you, I never left them alone. And I compare it to sort of making it to the NFL. It's rough, Tiffany, you know, and then first you want to get to the NFL, right? And then you want to make the roster, but then you want to make, you want to work, right? So you want to, you want to make it to the starting lineup and that takes time and that takes time and developing relationships with the reps and do a good job. And uh, I'm always taken aback when everyone I work with, they always say, oh my God, I love working with you. Thank you so much. You're so professional. And I'm thinking, well, goodness, what is everyone else like, right? Like I answer emails, I reply right away. I, I show up on time. It's kind of the basics if you ask me, but same thing today. I'm, I'm coming your way next week. And um, someone I'm working with was like, oh my God, I love working with you. You're, you're so professional. I'm like, well, thank you. I try to be respectful of people's time. You know, my time isn't any different than anyone else's. Well, it's a lost skill, but you know, it's funny because I had a person, well, Last week, a person put on Instagram, like, I hate all these meetings. They're just a social club. You know, all these industry meetings are no good. And Aesthetic Next is left off the list. So you know me. And I just DM the person. I'm like, what the hell, man? 
are you hating on the meeting? Like, what's my meeting done to you kind of thing? And she's like, no, it's just the same people on podium at every meeting, and I'm just sick of seeing it. And I'm like, well, how come no one's raising their hand? I love to have people come to me and say, I want to speak at your meeting. I have a great idea for a talk. I have a great concept. I would love to show it to you, and let's. I want to do a talk on it. I would give my left leg, Cheyenne, my left leg, maybe my right leg too, to have people come to me and say, I want to be part of your meeting, and I have a great idea. Otherwise, you know what I do all night long every night for six months? I go on Instagram and dig up and dig around and look and see who's doing what things, who has a good technique, who has a good before and afters. And I reach out and ask them to come speak at the meeting. And I am left to do all this research and do all this fact finding on my own because no one has the balls to raise their freaking hand. And it is exhausting. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, be Cheyenne. Go go scream and dance and yell and shake your bell and say, I want to be part of this thing. Get me on your podium. Because I tell you, as an, as an organizer, I hate that. I hate people who just sit back and complain about it and then don't ever do anything to put themselves in the position to be, to be chosen. That's my soapbox. I think, but I, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you, Tiffany. Uh, you're, you're, the goal of the conference, too, is to sell tickets, right? So you're, you have to go on Instagram and pick the people that have a big following who may not necessarily have the best um, aesthetic outcomes, but, you know, they're going to fill the room for you. So I think it... Um, is a mix of both. I think if you can pick a balance of uh, there, there are some of us that are very science, science oriented. So I think that's uh, a huge portion of it. And there are others that, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of TikTok or things like that, but I, I know it, it does well and it, it can fill a room and sell some tickets. So I think probably uh, ideally to sell the tickets and fill the room, you need a mix of everything of science and trendy and Instagram followers and, and all that stuff. I trust me. I wish it could just be um, like the people that are my mentors because they really are just geniuses. I just don't know if they'll fill a, sell the tickets for you, you know, because <laughs> no one knows who they are on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting too as we look at twenty twenty three, whatever year we're in. Is it is different. I have lots of people who we work with that are big on TikTok and do that, but they're also incredibly gifted injectors and great at science. And so the content that they submit for a deck, you know, for a conference, I do all the medical reviews here, is extraordinarily good. But they will sell tickets to your point because they have all this following. But when it comes to the stage, they're a whole different person, right? They they become like a Cheyenne. They become like a science, you know, math. The whole thing shows up and it's very different. And people are often taken aback by that, like, huh, I thought I was coming to see the fun rock star personality, but I actually saw like an injector who was training me on technique. And they almost get let down about it. Like either way, you know, it's kind of to your point, kind of a lose lose. But, you know, in 200 plus faculty, which at least a few of them were new that I didn't have to go find. But I digress on that entirely. Back to the booty, because you are a big booty person and you're in L.A., which I know means higher, you know, people can afford to do more things or they do. How are you getting these high volume booties? You're doing a lot of sculpture in the rear end. How do you sell that, A, and how do you get people to keep coming back and being compliant with getting, you know, treatments over and over and over again? Give us your your booty guidance. It's sort of the same, you know, I think it all comes down to the patient consultation. You know, it, it really is just about educating them. Um, I, I know you, you, you have seen my Instagram, so all my booties come in all shapes and sizes from those desiring 
uh, former Kardashian booties, because those have also slimmed down now, um, to models who just want to feel a little bit more cakey. That's what a supermodel, she's like, I just want to be a little bit more cakey when I'm walking down the runway. And she's tall and lean and fit. And whenever I put her on Instagram, they're like, she doesn't mean that, but she feels better, right? So it's really, I think more often than not, how these things make the individual feel, um, not so much about the Instagram judgment. Um, so for me, I think uh, what I, I don't have any issues selling it at all. So it's really, I think, about the patient education and, for, and informing them and explaining the differences between a BBL versus a, a biostimulatory approach and stuff like that. And then we do offer financing. I'm a big fan of Cherry. I know you at Aesthetic Record love Cherry as well. Um, so my patients love Cherry and um, they, they, have, they just keep returning. So everyone usually does about three treatments. Um, my supermodel will see her back on the 14th. It's treatment number seven, if you can believe it. So um, she's very happy with her results and she looks natural and, you know, she's growing her own tissue and she's super excited and just feeling sexier in her lingerie on the runway. And that's, you just want people to feel good, you know, and I think that's what makes them come back too. We mentioned the Kardashians are slimming up. You know, Ozampic, the semi-glutide wave is here, people. Um, do you think that booties are going to go away in some in some regard or, or get back to more of a slimmed-down approach? And then also within weight loss, does, does that fit into your practice and your bespoke? I mean, again, you are very much an artist. I don't know if semi-glutide fits your motif, if you want to call it that. But is there a place for that in the 2023 medical spa practice to focus on weight loss as a big, you know, big billboard, big calling card? Yeah, so I work a lot with a cellular medicine doctor, um, and he works a lot with peptides. So for patients that really are interested in aging younger from the inside out, uh, we collaborate with him. And so he uh, does their blood work, and then the peptides are... Um, designed for them and he puts them on a protocol and i have to tell you tiffany it's kind of amazing within a month everybody is lean and buff and loving their results so um some are on semaglutinides which is also a zempeg some are not and then there are other things on there as well that have helped so um you know, again, I'm fortunate enough to be in a marketplace where people want to do all these things. They want to look good and feel good. So yes, to, we, we're working a lot with peptides, which are um, injectives so that you inject them into subcutaneous tissue in the body and um, can help you slim down, uh, develop muscle, lean muscle mass uh, and all the things. Well, does that lead us to smaller booties? Do you think that's going to be a new wave? I feel like skinnier faces. I've been seeing on Instagram all this, the Olympic face. You know, what are you going to do when your face gets so skinny? I'm like, well, I'm just going to get sculpture. Like, I'll be fine. Because, you know, you pick the fat in your butt or the fat in your face. I'm like, I'm picking the fat in my, in my butt to get rid of. Like, forget the face. I'll figure that shit out. <laughs> but getting this butt small. I want this butt to be tiny. So what do you think? So no. The, the, but uh, they're not changing coming in for the sculpture, but yes, nobody wants those gigantic derrieres anymore. They just want something that's natural. Same thing, you know, we're seeing the trend in plastic surgery where everyone's getting all their breast implants explanted, right? So that gigantic look is not really current right now, but no, they're still coming in for uh, their non-surgical butt augmentations. They just don't want to be that huge obviously it's sort of respecting the patient's shape and form and what the end goal is um but i haven't seen a decline um so i'm grateful for that and i don't know that you will i think because you're doing a lot of i don't want to say custom but you know i think about things like hip dip and just like shape you know more consistent shape and even texture and tone and 
I think people are so confused that that butts had to be big. You know, it's like we're just going to pump in volume. Actually, there's a lot more things we can do with sculpture. Even you know, liposuction gone wrong, and and you've got ripples and things that we can do with you know a hyperlite RDS or sculpture to change the game or Renuva as well. That doesn't require volume. So I th- I think we're still on the same path. It just may look a little bit different going into 2023. I think so. I think 2023 is going to be a very interesting year, and I think. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a challenge until June. And I think, you know, hopefully once the feds drop the interest rates, we'll see a little bounce back in things, but time will tell, you know. Well, as a business owner, you know, thinking through that with all these new things coming to market, I think the manufacturers are going to feel it as well, obviously, and have to bring out programs, incentives. But how do you brace for that as a business owner, knowing that, you know, potentially, especially because you are in LA, I think it gets, you get hit so much worse in New York and LA than anywhere else. But how do you start to prepare for that and cut expenses and, you know, really build a business plan? Well, I and mean, that's what we're, that was one of my meetings today. We really are trying to shift focus a little bit and see what, where we can maximize uh, things in 2023 and the best approach to do that. As you know, January is usually a little slow for everybody. January has been great for me uh, for the past two years. So I'm curious to see what this January brings so far for the appointments that we have on the books. It's solid, but uh, business is definitely down um, from last year. You know, we're sort of reviewing everything today. And, um, you know, I don't advertise, I mean, apart from Instagram, I don't do any marketing or things like that. It's all referral. And I prefer it that way because it kind of limits the crazy. So, you know, I, I prefer that, you know, a friend sends me someone and then, you know, it, it's much better than sort of someone finding you out of the blue, I think, anyway. Well, that's a unique model. I mean, talking about being very much a bespoke practice, the fact that you work on referrals only, I think, is just, I mean, that's crazy, especially because you have a giant Instagram follow. I mean, you have, I think, like, I think I checked 80,000, some ridiculously high amount of people that follow you to be a referral-based practice. And so thinking through that, how do you keep people, you know, they find you, obviously, on Instagram. You have these great videos, which I want to talk about that for sure, but they find you. And they just inquire, like, hey, I want to come see you. Like, what do you do? Do you say yes, no, do a free consult? Like, how does that work? So we try to weed out a little bit, get a little bit more information. How did you find us? What are you interested in? Obviously, if somebody's messaging, just asking about pricing, that's not something we're going to entertain. But, you know, no, I'm very grateful to Instagram. It's brought me uh, a lot of booties. It's also, um, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram. It's brought me a lot of headaches and a lot of crazies as well. <laughs> so uh, we do try to weed that out. And uh, But the referrals mostly come from patients that are come in, who've come in and that are happy with the results. Um, Instagram, if you can believe it, I get more trainings, people inquiring about trainings. I just had someone from Canada book a three-day training uh, with me in March. So that's great. Well, I think your Instagram is built for that. I mean, we, we really connected throughout the whole COVID virtual world that we were all living in about video and your video content and what you were trying to do. And I have watched you on camera just blossom from someone who was in the beginning a little bit nervous about it. And, uh, and, and not, not really that you were awkward, you just hadn't found your footing yet to now you're, I mean, you do it all the time. You have Instagram videos everywhere with you know, your training, you're talking about sculpture and whatever else, you know, booties, the whole thing. And you're doing it effortlessly. What has that been like? Because I think the hardest thing for people who are trying to market themselves is to just rip off the Band-Aid and do the awkward things and get it over with to learn and grow. And you have done it beautifully over time. And I think it's improved or increased your Instagram following. It has to have because now you're, you have high-quality content that's everywhere. I see it all the time. Uh, well, thank you so much. You know, I never know what actually is going to interest people. So um, thank you. You know, it's time, Tiffany. Just like you said, when I first started doing it, I like 
was awkward and it, uncomfortable. I think it's helped uh, practice like anything in life, practice, practice, practice. And then when I finally realized, you know, they edit everything, right? So if I mess up, they're just going to do, I get to do it again. And then uh, I think it's, it's helped me sort of relax a little bit. I work with the same camera, camera crew, the same video team each time. So now I'm more relaxed. But no, when I first started, I, I have no shame in my game to say I use my iPad as a teleprompter because I would forget everything I'd want to say. There was a camera in my face and I was like, wait, what? And then and they're like, just pretend it's a patient because then I can rattle it off like it's nothing, you know? Um, and now, uh, no, I do, I do much better off the cuff now. Instead, if I prepare something, it doesn't work out, then I mess up. If I just walk in and kind of do it like I would a consult, it's much better. So that's sort of where we are now, you know? And of course, on the day of filming is the day something always goes wrong. Like a model doesn't show up, somebody gets sick, and then you just have to sort of roll with it. That's the biggest lesson learned in COVID. Just roll with it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for the podcast, I just go off the cuff um, wherever wherever it takes me. I go, but I do a lot of teleprompter work because we have to have things that are a certain amount of time and you know, short, concise, long explanations that I'll rattle. I'm a rattle trap too long, and there's an art to it. I mean, as you've learned, there's an art to talking to a camera and to reading a teleprompter and a script, and it just takes time. People ask me all the time about it. I'm like it just takes time. You just got to do it. And I'm fortunate to have the same cameraman, the same camera crew all the time too. And it becomes you have very the best easy. cameraman. <laughs> That's true. I do have the best cameraman, but it makes it easier because he knows what I like. I know what he likes. We know how to work together. And so I would tell people who who want to become, you know, who want to be like Cheyenne and learn it and grow and do over time. Find what works for you and just do a lot of it. Just do so much of it because yours has really. I mean. It really has gotten so good. And I think people want to train with you because you're so great at explaining what you're doing. And that like little one minute video, I learned a ton of stuff from you. And so thinking through that, how do you come up with the content? Like, how do you decide what you're going to feature in those little video snippets? And how does that even work as you put it, like actually logistically put it on Instagram? Well, how it all started, you know, since you mentioned I was uh, one of, I don't say one of the first users of Sculptra, but a big advocate of it before it became trendy, I came up with the idea of doing something called the Sculptra Face Series, and I followed three patients over 24 weeks, and that got a, got a lot of traction, and then I did it again, and then it sort of branched off into other things, so I, I usually try and film content every six to eight weeks, and I try to diversify it a little bit um but every week i usually put an ads uh posting up on instagram models needed and then sort of weed out what comes in i always ask for photos making sure they don't have filler in their face i prefer to deal with a, a natural face if that's possible um, i always try to do a mix of sculpture but i want to make sure that it's somebody that's going to commit to the series because we want to document the progress over time and then um, just feature a little bit of everything from chins to jaw lines to under eyes and then um as you mentioned, the more you do it, you realize what works and what doesn't work on camera. So under eyes don't really work great in video because patients pink up from the numbing cream. So the before and afters aren't the best. So I had to steer away from that. And then um, I would tell everybody, yeah, just practice, practice, because as you're injecting, you have to change your gauze because you see there's blood on the, on the gauze. So it's just, it's little things that you realize and then the team will point out as you move along because they know what bothers me. My big thing is I don't want to see anything in the, in the shot. I don't want gauze or gloves or anything that looks messy. So now everyone's running around because they know what I like, so which makes it a lot easier. So practice, 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 like anything in life, I would say. Oh, yeah. Well, and as a business owner now, you know, we're kind of wrapping up here, thinking about what you've learned. I mean, obviously marketing being a huge part of it. You're marketing yourself in a big way. You're thinking about growing your brand, you know, new locations. What are the things that as you look back on this, even this entire conversation and all the things we've talked about, 
that were your biggest challenges or learning lessons about becoming an entrepreneur or even an injector? And also what like pleasantly surprised you or things that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just a natural at this. Like this is just easy for me to do as a business owner and I love it. Loaded question. Yeah, super loaded question. I would say being being a business owner has probably been the greatest challenge, especially since we opened in the middle of COVID. We had a lot of other things to, you know, unexpected things to deal with, like the Department of Public Health and LA County guidelines and things like that. So that definitely was challenging, but uh, definitely a huge learning experience. I would say probably what comes with the greatest ease for me is patient satisfaction, because um, I know I'm confident in my aesthetic outcomes and uh, making people look and feel their best. So that probably comes with the greatest ease of everything. But being a business owner definitely has been a roller coaster. It's not for everyone. Uh, you know, I understand as I'm hiring people, you know, if they have family and kids and stuff, they want to be running out the door at 459. So that's a different dynamic. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different work ethic. And, um, you know, it's a, a learning curve for sure. Well, within that learning curve, just because I'm curious about your day, because you do train a lot. How are you fitting in time to be a trainer? And what do you allocate to training? What do you allocate to the business ownership hours, you know, actually running the business, and then also allocate time to your patients? So how do you look at your given week or month and kind of structure that to get it off, you know, to fit in? Usually Mondays are like administrative days, Mondays or Tuesdays. It just depends on how the week is, is setting up. And then training, you know, it's it's uh, variable. It comes, it all comes in waves. People think sometimes I just train full time for Galderma, and I'm like, no, I wish. <laughs> it just happens that they all when they when they call you to see if you're available, they all call for the same week. So it looks like that. So that's just how it, how it's how it looks. But so that the trainings are usually all at once, all packed into one week or three or four days, and then nothing for a couple weeks like that. And then clinic, I'm, I work every day, I have the luxury, I can walk to my office, which is dumb. It's a seven minute walk from my house. Um, so patients are like you work Sundays too. I do, you know, LA traffic is terrible. So if someone wants to come in for a sculpture, but yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll be there Sunday morning. You know, it's two hours out of my day, not, not that big of a deal. Yeah, and high revenue, right? It's, it's a good good amount of money. Well, it's funny you mentioned the game trainers because I feel like they get their money on the same day, like they're, they're trading money. They're all calling you in the same day, like, hey, can I book you right now? I've got money in my, in my uh, account manager account to, to book you. But it is true. But as far as like your private training, so our audience who's listening, thinking about, you know, I'd love to come train with you. Give us a quick idea of what all you do in private trainings, like what all kinds of topics that you cover and how to find you to book one of those. Um, I cover everything from, you know, injection 101 to advanced injection trainings, um, you know, mid-face, full-face, pan-facial rejuvenation, biostimulators. They can find me on my Instagram, which is at the private suite LA. And then what makes me laugh the most is someone will say, send a direct message saying, well, how do we contact you? And I'm thinking, click the contact button. There's my phone number and there's the email. You can email us, you can text us. All of those things work well. <laughs> Yeah, so the private suite LA, I put it in the comments as well, but I know that you are a very loved trainer. I've talked to lots of accounts who work with you, especially on Sculpture. I've heard lots of feedback from my gain days about what a great Sculpture trainer you are. So if you guys are interested in private training, I certainly am an advocate for Cheyenne. I know what she can do. And I think that your artistry component, you know, the things that you believe in, kind of what makes you you and your unique differences, because you are science and you are math and you are the things, but you're also very much an artist and you have, you know, the, the flair, is what I would call it, that, you know, the look at a person and see what they need and kind of understand what, what they want out of it versus just stuff and syringes in their faces. So I think it's a great, 
investment, as you mentioned, you have to invest in yourself over and over again in this business or you will not survive here. But as far as your own training, what are the things that you recommend people go do when they're at your level? You know, they're more advanced injectors to stay abreast of things, stay on top of, you know, what's changing. How do you go get trainings? Oh, I um, go spend as much time as I can with Dr. Arthur Swift, and I highly recommend everybody who's an advanced at an advanced level, whatever that means to them, go spend some time with Dr. Swift. He is a genius. He is a modern day Da Vinci, and you can't not learn something anytime you spend time with him. You know, people always say that to me, but we don't go to a lot of conferences, and I'm thinking, well, for me to take time out of the office, right? I, I, I'm not, I understand there's a huge social component of the conferences and that's wonderful, but if I'm taking time out of the office, I wanna go and learn something. And if I'm gonna spend, you know, you, you know, you know the cost of a conference, I, I wanna walk away with things that I can incorporate into my practice. And so um, I always try and spend a lot of time with, uh, as much as I can with Dr. Swift. And I hi, I'm a huge fan and uh, he's a dear friend of mine, Dr. Sebastian Catafana. I highly recommend everybody do a cadaver lab once a year. I know those are becoming very trendy right now and other injectors are offering them. So whatever is in their budget or logistically makes the most sense. I do think that's a great idea. Uh, my first cadaver lab was with Dr. Chris Surik, and you were there. <laughs> you were there with me. <laughs> I walked in the door and I was like, oh my goodness. So um, he started, I think, that trend for sure. And obviously now he's grown into a huge success and sold that to AmSpa. Um, but uh, my recommendations for people who are advanced and want to level up, I would definitely spend some time with Dr. Swift and uh, Professor Sebastian Catafana, for sure. Agreed. Two great names, and Arthur's been at this game for a long time. He is very good at what he does, and he has such a um, such a swagger when he teaches too that it makes you just want to keep listening. I don't know. He's just a fun guy. Worked with him years and years ago at Galderma. We launched uh, Refine and Define, and he was just he was a riot then, and he's still a riot now. So I can imagine that you get a lot from that. I think you mentioned international. You know, Kate Goldie. I think there's lots of international. Folks, they're doing things that we don't get yet because the FDA, that they've already learned the techniques, they've learned the products that we kind of get, you know, a few years later. You can jump the shark going international, but I feel like there's always a disconnect there. Like once you're in an advanced injector, where do you go? Because so much of our industry is focused on the newer injector, even the intermediate injector, but they kind of forget at your level, like how do you keep leveling up and growing and changing? And, and I think this new area that you're focusing on too, thinking about more of the, you know, the bio stimulator, the the cellular level, the peptides, that's kind of the next frontier. So I envision you, you'll be leading that charge very soon as well. But as we wrap up here, anything that we wanted to talk about or chat about before we go? What do we? I don't know. I think we covered it all. Did we forget something? Well, you know, it's so funny when you know somebody really well, they're like, well, I know all the things about you, but have I gone through them all? I think we have. But no, I appreciate you coming on today and really talking about, you know, all the things that you're doing. I think Private Suite LA, what you're doing there, the bespoke idea is very, very cool um, and such a different, it's different right now, which I think is very telling for our economy and, and how you'll survive 2023 in a different way than others. So for the record, we have loved having you on today. And again, guys, at the Private Suite LA, you can get a hold of PA Cheyenne there. You can hit the contact button and get her phone number and you can email her. <laughs> you can find her there. But anything you're doing in the next few months, conferences you're going to be attending or things you're going to be hosting or doing or teaching, let us know. I will definitely do that. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Well, we're glad to have you on. And guys, I will see you all again next week for episode 51. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. 
For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.